Welcome again to Discovering Disabilities in Dearborn. As always, I'm Ali Darwish. I'm Rashad Al Ghul. Today, we have the privilege of being joined by Corporal Brent King. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself, Corporal Brent. Hi, Ali. Uh, my name is Brent King. Uh, I've been a Dearborn police officer for a little over 16 years. Um, 15 of those years were on patrol, uh, various midnights, day shift, afternoons. Uh, I was an evidence tech, um, FTO, which is a field training officer, uh, current member of the Dearborn Police Bomb Squad and Honor Guard. Um, I have two sons, uh, one's 10 and uh, one is seven. Uh, he'll be eight next month. And my younger one has autism. So you built up just from the very brief introduction, you built up a very hefty resume. What got you into this field to begin with? Um, as far as law enforcement, yeah. I wanted to help people out. Um, my original plan was to be an, uh, an anesthesiologist, actually. Uh, and then I realized how much schooling there was for that. And I said, no, I'm not going to school that long. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to help people out um, and just do better for my little corner of the world that I live in. Um, during that time, I littered the state with applications and I uh, put myself through college uh, and then littered the state with applications. And uh, I was picked up by Dearborn and I've been here ever since. Well, you've done a great job definitely of helping people out. And uh, you mentioned that you had a younger son with autism, right? Yes. So what kind of, was that kind of your motivation for uh, starting initiatives in your work in disabilities? So uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts uh, regarding autism. Um, as we mentioned off air before we started, I have a long commute to work. Uh, so I have a lot of downtime in my car. So I just listen to podcasts a lot, uh, including yours. Um, but I've heard repeatedly over the years that I was listening to these podcasts that parents were concerned about their children having interactions with law enforcement. Um, and that really broke my heart as a police officer uh, because, like I said, you know, all of us want to come here and help people. We don't want people to be afraid of us. Um, and then to hear parents of people in the special needs communities fear their child having an interaction with law enforcement. Uh, I was like, there's got to be a way that we can help this and change the perspective from the parents and or the, the individuals with aut um, special needs. Uh, and hopefully we can make this a smoother transaction if there is ever a police interaction. Uh, so I figured out we can we could try to help that out. What kind of concerns were you, were you hearing by the public? What were people telling you in particular about uh, concerns regarding disabilities and law enforcement? So the biggest one, most of them always went to, I don't want my son, and most children with autism are boys. Um, I don't want my son to be shot by the police. Um, you know, they, they always go for the biggest thing first. Um, and I was like, that's, that's not what we're doing, you know? Um, but uh, that's what I feel was a, a negative interaction is, is if that's what people are concerned about, we need to tell them that that's not what is going to be the end game plan. Um, we always try to talk to people first and foremost and try to calm down situations first. Um, but if I, if we can get ahead of the, the game and have people interact with law enforcement before there's a need to interact with law enforcement, for example, bringing people to the police department on their own terms, um, to introduce themselves to interact with law enforcement before there's an emergency. Uh, that'll put the parents at ease and it, it'll help the individual with disabilities have a, a better understanding of what law enforcement's about. So what I'm getting from this is your initiatives kind of started before you had your son, right? Uh, he was born in, uh, he, so he was diagnosed at that point because that's okay. when I started listening to the autism, autism podcast okay. just to start learning about the world that I had fallen into. What's his name? Uh, my son's name is Braden. Braden. Yep. Okay. Um, and like I said, he's seven, almost eight. Uh, he is uh, severely cognitively impaired, uh, autistic, and epileptic. Okay. 
So uh, he's got a lot going on. Uh, he attends school year-round, um, and he does ABA therapy, which ABA therapy is Applied Behavioral Analysis Therapy. Does he enjoy the things that he does going to school, ABA therapy? He loves it. He enjoys them? He absolutely loves it. Um, this morning, uh, he does not attend school on Friday mornings uh, during the summertime. So he does go to school year-round on Fridays. He does not uh, attend school. and But instead, the therapist comes to our house extra early. So this morning, he was actually sitting in his therapy room waiting for the therapist before she showed up. Oh, wow. So yeah. he, looks, he looks forward to he, it. He loves it. Is this the same therapist every time? Uh, so we have two therapists, uh, and they switch on and off uh, throughout the week. So, and then both of them show up on Friday. You know, the one comes early and one comes later. Awesome. So I know, like, so there seems to be a lot of overlap between the different disabilities that he has. Is it? And this is something that we, you see, our Instagram page. Uh, we make these, you know, infographics and these different posts about various disabilities. I don't know if you had a chance to check out our Instagram. I'm not on social media too okay, often, okay. but uh, I've seen it. So oftentimes you have these comorbid or, you know, overlapping disabilities. Was autism the first one diagnosed or was it the cognitive impairment that was diagnosed first? Which So um, they were diagnosed altogether okay. except for the epilepsy that came later. Um, and I tried to, like, get that doctor to tell me, like, it's 50-50, it's 60-40, it's 70-30, and he just wouldn't do it. Um, and, and I understand now, you know, because I know more about his disabilities and things of uh, that nature, um, that he he can't really solidify a number for me. Um, so I don't I don't know where I don't know what the the differences are. So with Braden and his various disabilities, uh, what resources have you come across or have you found to be very helpful? So um, my wife is very active on social media, as with a lot of people are nowadays. Uh, so we started reaching out to like autism groups on Facebook. Um, that was our like our first step was just reaching out to autism uh, Facebook groups. Um, and then um, Autism Alliance of Michigan uh, is a huge network that we've lo come to love. Um, and then um, then I started listening to podcasts, uh, found some podcasts, um, Turn Autism Around by Mara Barbera, uh, the Autism Dad podcast, uh, Autism Point of View, um, Springbrook's, Springbrook something, Springbrook's Converge Autism Radio uh, is the name of that one. Um, and then All Autism Talk are a couple of the podcasts that I listen to. Um, all of them have shared great information. And then again, where I've started learning the fears of other parents with children with autism uh, and their interactions with law enforcement. Um, and then uh, through my time here in Dearborn and then doing research online, I came across um, Blue Hands United, which I've heard you guys mention several times on the podcast before. Um, Mona and Miriam, I love them both. They're they're great amazing. and they're doing amazing yeah. work for Dearborn. Yeah, that's actually, go ahead. I, I was gonna say that we recorded an episode with uh, Mariam, which will be released uh, uh, soon. And uh, so yeah, it, it's great, the the work that they do. It's, it's inspiring to the whole community. And hopefully, you know, we have a lot to learn from from people like you and you said you're listening to these podcasts and, and learning a lot. I'm confident that people are going to listen to this podcast and <clears throat> extract a lot of things from it as well. But speaking about our podcasts, could we go back a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about which ones that you that you watched that that you enjoyed? Um, which episodes did you interact with from from our podcast? From your, I've listened to all of them. Uh, just kind of like more research of what I was getting myself into being here. Awesome. Um, but I, I really did enjoy all of them, and the the fact that you guys break it down to really the different disabilities that are in the community um, and bringing light to those individuals. Um, 
I know that the special needs communities, they always, they can't always advocate for themselves. And that's also what drives me to do this. Um, my son is seven years old. Uh, he's not potty trained. He's nonverbal. So he, he can't tell us what his problems are. So somebody needs to advocate for him. Um, and like I said, mentioning before with the, the fears of these other parents, I feel that I'm in that position perfectly because I'm in law enforcement and I'm a dad of an autistic individual. So I feel that I meet that criteria and can help out as, as best I can. So uh, we actually met you at the Light It Up Blue event this year. That yes, Blue you Hands did. United Absolutely. Um, based on, like, you know, considering that, right, and you being there and, and you went up and spoke on the podium, uh, how has your outreach been kind of to the community, you know, uh, through that event, of course, but, like, what other events do you participate in and kind of, uh, um, you know, use as a way to advocate? for disabilities so we uh we did a fundraiser um where we were selling t-shirts uh patches uh coins uh all with dearborn insignia on it and then uh like the puzzle piece homecoming uh, was this in homecoming or not so um blue hands united did sell my shirts there as well uh, yeah I saw um i was actually not there but uh i, I helped them set up their booth and i okay. was like hey would you guys mind selling some t-shirts for me and they're like we'd love to yeah so, their table was full of things yep yeah, and she actually told me she's like your stuff's selling better than our stuff so <laughs> So th thank you, Mona. Um, but we raised uh, almost $6,000 for the t-shirts in our, our fundraiser. Um, so the, the Dearborn Police Officers Charity uh, kicked in the, the extra money to make it an even $6,000. And then we donated half to Blue Hands United and half to Autism Alliance of Michigan. So um, through that fundraiser, to get to your question, um, people have my email address and uh, they email me just random individuals that live in Dearborn. All, unfortunately, now all, all of them have been moms of special needs sons um, asking for help. So when they do reach out to me, uh, I, can, I can then, again, tell them who I am uh, and then get a, a better feel for what they need. And then I can turn them over to the right community assistance uh, to get them more help. Um, most of the time I do turn them over to Blue Hands United, but there has been times where I've uh, called Autism Alliance of Michigan myself uh, to kind of explain the situation to them and then turn them over to the, the individual or family that needs the assistance. Awesome. Was this your first fundraiser? This like was first my first year? fundraiser, awesome. yeah. First nice. year, first fundraiser. Uh, it was kind of uh, pushed upon me, but uh, I, I took it and ran with it. Did a great job. So, yep. so we, we talked a good deal about Blue Hands United, but you're bringing up Autism Alliance a lot. Could you tell us a, a little bit more about exactly what they do? So Autism Alliance of Michigan um, is basically just a bigger Blue Hands United. Um, they're statewide. Um, and we really learned about them through these uh, Facebook autism groups. And then uh, we took uh, advantage of their um, kindness, basically. And they had um, autism like days out at Greenfield Village. So they would allow families with special needs uh, individuals to come in early uh, during like um, a time where the, the lights are turned down and the sounds turned down. So there's not as uh, much stimulation um, to help relax the individuals with autism. Uh, so, and those tickets were free uh, and we all know how much Greenfield Village cost. Um, so, we, uh, we took advantage of that um, for like holiday nights and uh, Halloween nights, uh, things of that nature. And then they did have like days out with Thomas the Train. Um, both of my sons still love Thomas the Train. So yeah, it's, it's great. I still love Thomas the Train. 
who doesn't? I grew up with them too. It, it's fantastic that we have these different organizations that we're connected with as a community who are, you know, who normalize these things that uh, people with disabilities would otherwise not be able to participate in or they'd feel inc excluded in. So it's really nice to hear that they're doing these different initiatives for them. Yeah. And then um, Autism Alliance Michigan also uh, hosts like seminars. So they have keynote speakers and breakout sessions. Um, and I've been to like three or four of them and every one of them has been fantastic. So when a, when a parent reaches out to Autism Alliance or, or you guys asking for various resources, what do these various resources look like? What exactly are you hearing from the community uh, that is being requested like for, for their children? Sadly enough, the, the biggest thing that I'm seeing that the community wants is just somebody to talk to. Um, the autism world is very lonely, uh, and not because there's not other people out there. Um, I think the prevalency rate's about one in four, uh, one in 44 now. Um, but we're so busy trying to find resources for our sons and daughters that we don't have time to have a social life. Um, so they're, they, Really, like when I when I talk to these parents on the phone, like I'll spend an hour on the phone with them, and they're just basically telling me their life story, and just it feels like they, they just didn't have somebody to talk to, um, and then and then finally we get you know through that communication there, and then I'm able to turn them over to um, resources that'll give them a break, you know the the, the caregivers a break, or uh, provide find somebody that can get them ABA therapy. Or um, we had one little kid who he elopes, which is basically running away. Um, he, he likes to elope. So we were trying to figure out, like, could we get this kid a GPS tracker, you know, like sewn into his clothes or in his shoe or, or something so that mom wouldn't have to worry about, like, when, when, when he does try to elope. And she's, she's done a phenomenal job of trying to lock and secure her house. Uh, the woman has other children in the house who sometimes leave the doors unlocked. So the, the young boy with autism, he elopes and then obviously causes an issue and then mom has to go find him. So um, assistance in trying to find that. Um, uh, I've told her, you know, different kind of door locks that make it harder for the other kids to forget to unlock um, or lock, I should say. And then, um, like I said, the GPS trackers. Uh, but a lot of it is just resources to help them through this. Um, somebody to talk to, um, government support, things of that nature. So we spoke a lot about you know, other organizations and resources in the community for others. But can we talk a little bit more about your work within the police department and how you have advocated for certain changes in the police department that uh, that do obviously affect the community, um, but but things that you kind of pushed for and you started? Absolutely. Um, so I have trained every officer in the Dearborn uh, Police Department uh, in autism. Um, it's obviously a spectrum. So when there's a specific question about, well, how do we interact with a person who does this? And I always come back with, it is a spectrum. So every interaction with everybody has been different. Uh, one thing I did learn on one of my pod, uh, autism podcasts is if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism because they're all unique. Um, and I try to really accentuate that, that idea that they're interacting with that one person and what may work for this individual person may not work for another person. Um, like I said, my son's with uh, autistic, nonverbal, cognitively impaired. Um, you can tell him to do anything you, that you think a seven-year-old will be able to do and he's not going to do it because he's not going to listen to you. And then you can flip over and tell a seven-year-old who's 
on a different end of the spectrum and he'll listen to you. So you really have to, and we are trained that way, like evaluate the situation that you're in and adjust accordingly. Um, one of the things that I learned in a general order that we do have is that uh, approximately 50% of the uh, mental health, uh, individuals with mental health issues are nonverbal. Okay, so I brought up using a core board, uh, which is a piece of paper that has, uh, we used several different sizes, but the 108 is our most po uh, prominent one. Uh, so it has 108 different tiles on it that have pictures and words that correspond with those pictures. Uh, and you just simply point to that tile and that's what you're trying to explain to the other individual. Um, so you can basically point out using pictures a sentence. Is that what you have over this there? This is what I do have in front of me. This is a yeah. smaller one, a 36 board, and this is a 108 here. Um, this board here is actually uh, the one my son had um, when, uh, when they first started using core boards at school. Um, we have uh, now a fancier version, it's an iPad. Uh, so when he points on something, it'll actually jump to another screen. Uh, so if, for instance, if he was to select shows, it would jump to another screen that has six of his favorite shows uh, on there. And then he could point to that and it actually verbalizes what he points awesome. at when he says it. Cool. Um, so this is one thing that came out of uh, that general order. And then I turned that into um, using it with our 911 ready bags um, to help alleviate the communication, the miscommunication. Uh, when there is an individual that is nonverbal. Uh, sometimes it does work. Uh, it does take years for people to learn how to use the core board, but if it doesn't work, that's okay. We, do, we also have um, one in Arabic as well. Awesome. It's also translated. Um, and then this is our like simplest one, because really here, this is what we're trying to figure out 99% of the time. Yeah. Where's your mom and dad and where do you live? So every police officer carries this? So these are, uh, these are all uh, available in our uh, Power DMS system, uh, and we have access to that on our phones. Okay. Um, and then these are all gonna be in our 911 ready bags as well. So uh, not every officer has a 911 ready bag. We're trying to get more of them as we speak, um, but we have a lot of them on the road uh, at any given point. What else does the 911 ready bag have? So inside the uh, 911 ready bags, we have earmuffs, because uh, a lot of uh, people with autism have sound sensitivity. Um, so obviously police cars, fire trucks, they all come with pretty flashing lights and loud sirens. Um, and that's one thing I pressed upon uh, our officers uh, that are responding to individuals with autism is try to kill your sirens when you're down the block instead of when you're right in front of the house. Um, also importantly, when you're pulling up to a house that the individual may be epileptic, try to remember to kill your lights before it, for the midnight officers to kill your lights before you show up on scene because you may inadvertently send them into a seizure. Um, but they have the earmuffs and then we have these little fidget. This is a, a monkey noodle. So it's really just a, an elastic-y noodle for somebody to play with and when they're stressed out. Um, this is a little Lego chew toy. Um, basically, uh, like my son, he has a lot of oral sensation issues. So he's always chewing on something. Um, and we find that uh, it helps calm people down there as well. This is just a different little fidgety thing uh, for kids to play with. Um, and then this weighted blanket uh, as well as a five pound weighted blanket. Um, and it really just provides that, that comfortable, if you will, hug to uh, calm people down. Um, we can, you know, if somebody was in an accident, we can give them 
uh, the earmuffs and the weighted blanket and have them have a seat in the back of our police car where it's, it's safer than being on the side of Ford Road at Mercury where there was just a, you know, a rollover accident for the 10th time that day. So I actually have a couple of questions about this. Uh, first off, is are these all part of the training? Like how to use them or what to use them for? Yes. Uh, so during my training session, it was a two-hour block of training during in-service, which was in the spring. Um, I taught them all about these 9-1 ready bags. Uh, these 9-1 ready bags are from Mimi's Mission, uh, which I believe is in Woodhaven. Um, not sure on that. So, um, But it's Mimi's Mission, and um, we purchased them from uh, Mimi's Mission. And anybody can really buy these from Mimi's Mission. Um, and they, they can keep them for themselves or donate them to a, a charity of their choosing. Uh, but they are great uh, bags to have. Um, and police departments around the Down River community, uh, for the most part, are using these Mimi Mission 9-1 ready bags. Is Mimi Mission dedicated to uh, persons with disabilities? Yes, they are. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. And my second question was, so you mentioned uh, police officers knowing when they go to a house that somebody... Uh, what the disability might be in there. How do they know that exactly? So uh, Dearborn has a uh, special needs registry um, and people can sign on uh, if they just search Dearborn Police Department and then go to online services. Uh, the special needs registry is right there and they can fill that out and give us as much information as they wish to. Uh, we ask for as much w information as they could possibly provide to give us more information uh, to better respond to a scene. Um, but it's totally up to them as much information as they wish. So it's, it's not just for autism, it's for any special needs, um, Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, you name it. Anybody with a special needs, uh, they can sign on to the special needs registry and give us a, uh, that information. Um, and then when either that phone number or that address is flagged for calling 911 or calling dispatch in general, um, that file will be pulled up and then it can be sent to the officers that are responding. Um, and like I said, this, this will give us information of, you know, is there an epileptic uh, hazard there? Um, is this person combative because they're are, um, under the influence of drugs or narcotics? Um, or is it because they're diabetic and their blood sugar is low? Does know? this also apply to vehicles? Like, could vehicles be registered under this? Or is that like a different system that you guys have? I don't know. <laughs> So for like, because what I heard was at the, at the Blue Hands United event, there are sometimes like preemptive measures taken by parents with autism of putting certain labels on their, on their vehicles to indicate that when a police officer comes, they'll recognize this label and know to turn off his sirens, for example. So I, I thought that maybe there's something like that in the registry for so um, for the registry, I, I wouldn't think that would work because um, we don't know who's in the car. Oh, true. You know, so, um, but at the Lighted Up Blue event, uh, as you were referring to, um, we had stickers out there from Mimi's Mission that um, they're yellow stickers, um, I don't know, probably about four inches by six inches that you can uh, fix to the back of your car uh, window, uh, lower left corner. Um, we asked that the lower left corner, you put the sticker there because most officers um, are coming up from behind the vehicle on the driver's side. So uh, it's a yellow sticker and it basically spells out that there's an individual with autism uh, in that vehicle or maybe in that vehicle. And then a couple of like factors of may not respond accordingly, uh, may run for un unknown reasons. Um, so it really does give the officer the heads up. Uh, we have also, um, the Tearborn Police Officers Charity purchased um, a whole bunch of seatbelt covers 
that say uh, um, autism on them. And then there's a little medical alert, like piece of paper inside that you can write some information down as well um, in case mom or dad who, or whoever was the driver is incapacitated to do an accident or anything else, then we can still figure out what's going on with the, the passenger uh, if they're autistic. So if our viewers watching this at home are interested in, in getting their hands on, on these stickers or you know, seatbelt covers, how, how do they go about doing that? Uh, they can contact Mimi's Mission. Uh, they're the ones that were selling the stickers and the seatbelt covers. Uh, they can also contact me. Uh, my email address is B as in boy, King, K-I-N-G, at C-I dot dearborn dot mi dot us how did the uh, special needs registry come to be like how did it start that actually started years ago um i guess we didn't do a good really good job of pushing it out to the general public um but it started years ago um and i don't know the driving force behind it but it was just a way for us to better prepare for responding to individuals houses well, it's definitely more well known now. Uh, I think since you know you and others started pushing for disabilities and advocating, so uh, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. This is probably a good time for us to take our break. Uh, hey, everyone! Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you or someone you know would be interested in being a guest on the podcast, or if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Dream Dearborn, or on our website at DreamDearborn.org or on our email at disabilitiesproject at umich.edu. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to Discovering Disabilities in Dearborn. Uh, one thing we noticed over our break is uh, we talked about the 911 ready bag and the contents inside. But for the viewers who are listening through the podcast, um, just jump on our YouTube channel to uh, see what we were talking about more specifically. Um, also, offline, off, uh, we were talking about your other son, uh, could you tell us a little bit about him and his experience of having a younger brother who's autistic, cognitively impaired, and has epileptic episodes? Uh, my other son is uh, 10. His name's Brendan. Um, he's been a great big brother to Braden. Uh, he's advocated to his friends um, about the differences that they experience when they come to our house to play with Brendan um, because Braden, you know, he, he likes to scream a lot and uh, does things differently than normal people would. Uh, so he just calmly explains to his, his buddies, um, you know, what's going on and why he's doing that. And basically at the end of the, the story or him explaining, he goes, he's autistic. That's the way he is. Um, and he's, he's a big advocate for him. Um, he's, uh, wise ab ab above his years. Um, he's missed out on a lot of his childhood um, because of that, um, because there are things that we can't do as a family uh, with a severely autistic individual, um, and that Brendan has missed out on that, and I can't praise him enough for that. Uh, we've received so many compliments uh, from friends and families and neighbors about my older son's behavior and the way he uh, presents himself, um, and I believe that is because he's had to grow up a little faster uh, than a normal child would. Well, I will say um, he's definitely doing a great job of being an older brother. Uh, and in terms of uh, missing out on some things, uh, it's never too late, you know, to, to go out and, and enjoy uh, life and, and have fun. Uh, I actually recently went to Disney World, and I didn't think I was going to have fun before I went, but I had a blast when I went. So whether it's, you know, a few years down the line or uh, even when Brendan goes on and gets married in the future, uh, and has his own family, like uh, he'll, I'm sure he'll come to have that fun 
yep, you know, that's, sooner or later. That's the top and, of and his I'm, list is Disney. Yeah. And I'm sure he's like developing all these different experiences that many others wouldn't wouldn't experience by not having you know the same experiences that he's developed with uh, Braden. So it's it's a trade off. He's gonna he's gonna miss out on certain things, but he's also gaining amazing experiences through being a selfless individual. So. Yeah, no, amazing job. How about how about you guys? Just as parents, how, how was the adjustment uh, with Braden, and how do you like reflect back now? Uh, reflect back, um, it obviously like like I said uh, when he was diagnosed, uh, we didn't really know what was going on. Um, the uh, doctor actually said uh, severely cognitively impaired, and at that time, I didn't really even understand what that meant. Um, and he's in a SCI classroom, which is severely cognitively impaired um at a special school um and like i said he goes year round um so we don't get the the normal like summer break oh you know where we can go do whatever we want is because he's going to school year round uh so we do miss out on a lot of things like that um functions where there's a lot of people uh he doesn't do well at um he gets overstimulated and then he starts kind of like panicking if you will um so like family functions um holiday parties or like birthday parties larger birthday parties we can't stay long at um and then also like when there's a lot of things on tables he just grabs things off tables so he's always spilling like when we go to a party he's always spilling drinks or pulling things off uh tables um one time he broke a wine glass and i was like oh i told you he was gonna grab that so <laughs> um but we we've learned a lot uh, our house is set up a little differently than the normal household um, we have hardwood floors throughout the entire house because he just spills stuff all over the carpet. Um, and then instead of a den, we have a therapy room. Uh, in the therapy room, we have a trampoline and a, a little workstation where him and his therapist work. And the uh, trampoline is one of his rewards because he loves jumping up and down. Um, so he'll sit in, or jump up and down in there while he's watching an episode of Mickey Mouse or something along that lines. Um, so we've, we've had to curtail like our life expectancies, you know, and like the things that we want to do. Um, but all for the better. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you about your other experiences with other individuals, like maybe uh, pulling over an individual with a, a child who had disabilities. Could you talk a little bit about those experiences or if you've heard about such experiences? So I have a couple of my own. Um, and then uh, real quick, I wanted to touch on one that an officer told me. Um, he was uh, in the neighborhood of Telegraph and Cherry Hill and pulled over a woman uh, and she wanted the officer to yell at and be the bad guy to her child who was autistic and he was he did not do that uh, he's like no we're, we're here to help the help out everybody we're not here to be the bad guys so she was trying to use the police officers to scare the the child into being a good child and um the officer told her like i'm not going to do that that's done pretty often like it is I, it's done it. a lot more often than i'd care to admit yeah, um yeah. and we try to impress upon everybody that like we're here to help you like if you're lost or separated from your family you know when we're talking to children if you're lost or separated from your family come find us like we're here to help you and um so when when people when parents try to use us as a scare tactic it's it's not what we want you know, we want to be friends to the, the children and help them in their time of need. Um, one of my personal experiences, though, was um, I had made a traffic stop uh, on a woman on Michigan Avenue, and she was actually driving home from the, the doctor's office where her son was diagnosed with autism. 
and uh, she was she was a wreck. She she was just like I was when I found out that my son had autism, um, and and all of his other issues. Um, so she was she was crying and apologizing for the way she was driving, which was the reason that I, I pulled her over. Um, and then after verifying who she was and everything like that, because she hardly had any paperwork with her. Um, I went back up to the car and actually gave her my autism awareness bracelet that I had on my wrist. Uh, and I told her, you know, welcome to the family. Like, we're, you're going to need to be a big, strong mama bear here and take care of your son. You're going to have to advocate strongly for your son, for everything you need for your son. And it's only going to be you that's going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. I said, but if you need help, give, it, give us a call. We'll help you out. What was her reaction? She cried more. <laughs> she said, she said, thank you very much. Um, she held my hand for a few minutes and just, uh, just praised me and thanked me. Uh, and then just cried more. So, um, I told her, I said, you can stay here as long as you want. I will stay behind you with my lights on for as long as you need collect yourself. And when you're ready, just give me a thumbs up out the window and then pull off. And wow. so it took her a couple minutes to collect herself. And then eventually she was able to pull off and go on her way. Have you ever seen her or anybody else that you pulled over uh, who has somebody, you know, somebody in the car with a disability at like any of the events or anything that you've been through? Uh, I have not seen her uh, since. Um, and then there are some interactions that we we've had with families around the area uh, that I have seen at the Blue Hands United events. Um, and I don't know if they recognize me or not, but you know, I, I recognize them. And uh, so usually I try to like let them approach me first. I don't want to let them know that they had police contact first. Um, I'm sure, so. I'm sure if you see her, she'd be wearing that wristband that you I'm, gave her. I'm sure she would be. Yep. So yeah, she was very touched by the, uh, the interaction. It's nice that, uh, there are officers like you who are compassionate and, you know, trauma informed and disabilities informed so that when they pull over somebody who is going through these different experiences, they're more sympathetic and understanding uh, of where they're coming from. And you talked about your training earlier and, um, and you're creating other other officers like that um, who are prepared in, in this regard. Could you tell us a little bit about how extensive this training is and if you have any plans of, you know, branching out maybe in, in the future? Uh, so kind of in the infancy of training in Dearborn here, uh, like I said, I trained all of the Dearborn Police Department uh, back in the spring. Um, and I actually trained, I forgot to mention earlier, that I also trained all the lifeguards for the Dearborn Parks and Rec um, because most autistic individuals love water. Um, it's actually the number one killer amongst autistic kids is water. 90% of the deaths uh, in the young ages uh, is from drowning. So um, oh, get, passing that. that information along to lifeguards, um, my son's included, he loves water. Um, he will run to any body of water. He does not know how to swim. So um, passing that information on the lifeguards I felt was important and uh, thankfully the Parks and Rec Department, they reached out to me and asked me because they found out about the training I did for the police department. They asked if I would curtail the training that I did for the police officers and change it up a little bit to the, to the lifeguards. So uh, we did that also in the spring, um, well, just before summer started for the, the summer pool kickoff. Um, during the training with the police officers, um, I gathered some information from Dearborn Public Schools uh, that there are approximately 2,000 students uh, in the Dearborn Public Schools that have an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. Um, and then there are 160-ish um, students in the Dearborn Public Schools that are moderate to severe uh, autism. 
Uh, and then there's 50-ish uh, that are in the SXI and the SCI classrooms. Uh, and the SXI is multiple impairments, and then the SCI is the severely cognitively impaired uh, programs. So taking just those numbers of just the students that we have in our city, uh, it really shows you the amount of individuals out there that have disabilities. And that's just within the school district. That's not including the, uh, the academies um, or the homeschooled individuals or adults that are located in uh, the city of Dearborn. So I really, doing my research for the training, I really found out that it was a much needed training. Um, and the training that for autism specific can be transferred to other disabilities as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just like you said earlier, just trying to be more compassionate and trying to give them the benefit of the doubt for that extra moment or two, uh, as much as you can give them to help them re respond and react to the situation and try to calm them down before we have to do anything else. So uh, again, we're, we're doing the training with the lifeguards and the, the police officers. Um, Mona and Miriam from Blue Hands United have reached out to me to see if I would be interested in doing uh, training for other jurisdictions around us, uh, Dearborn Heights, Canton, Detroit PD. Uh, those are all in their infancy st uh, stages. Uh, we're working on trying to get that together. Um, but yes, it's, other departments are catching on to this and wanting to do training as well. Hopefully it can be nationwide after after this. That would be phenomenal, yes. Uh, Autism Alliance of Michigan does uh, have a um, a presentation, a training for law enforcement specific. Um, and I, I will be taking that as uh, soon as it's ready. Beautiful. I really appreciate how you have like numbers like these, because that's something that we're trying to ascertain as a disabilities research, education, and advocacy, mm -hmm. a movement uh, organization dream. Uh, you know, beyond this podcast, what we're doing is we're trying to understand intellectual disabilities and how it's affecting our community. And we're trying to quantify, you know, the prevalence of these issues and how it's affecting the quality of life. So I just like hearing the numbers uh, behind things because it, it kind of it kind of shows that these are real issues that people are experiencing in our community. Absolutely. That's, and that's why I try to pull numbers like that. Um, I'm a police officer. I like concrete evidence. So when you tell me your feelings, that's one thing. But if you can give me numbers, then then I'll know the, uh, the severity of the situation. So we've talked a lot about you going out to the community and reaching out to the community but what about others coming to you uh on the basis of have you seen anybody with a disability trying to become a police officer i've not seen myself anybody with a disability uh, becoming a police officer um there are qualifications that need to be met to be a police officer obviously uh m coles is our governing body for that uh, Michigan Coalition of Law Enforcement. Um, so you have to do, you have to pass a reading writing test with um, a certain score. Um, and then you have to do physical agility tests, um, certain scores for that as well. Uh, and those are different for age groups and uh, male females. Um, and then um, you have to pass the police academy as well, which is 16 weeks of rigorous training. Um, it's 16 straight weeks. Uh, so you gotta be able to pass all that. So I know we talked about uh, the special needs registry and, and all these other services that you guys are doing an amazing job providing um, individuals with disabilities. Uh, but do you guys have any other initiatives or policies uh, that you are setting forth for people with disabilities? We're really just trying to reach out and let people of all disabilities know that we're here to help them out. Um, we're trying to get the special needs registry out and let people know about that. That way, when we are responding, we can respond accordingly. Um, we were talking about having like a, an open house uh, so people with disabilities could come, like I said, in a, a non-stressful, open, inviting uh, 
setting and allow people to interact with law enforcement and see the different um, operations that we have at the police station. Um, this would be just something that we could do uh, for anybody um, to come in and, like I said, a, a non-threatening manner, just come on in and meet, meet the police. So you, so you said other disabilities, so this, this applies to anyone. I know because the focus over here was largely on autism, but it's nice to hear that you guys are doing things for all kinds of disabilities. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're trying to be all-inclusive and help everybody out that's in the community. So we usually like to end off our podcast with what we call the dream segment. And basically, during the segment, we ask, what is your dream? And this can be your dream related to anything at all. So, yeah, what is your dream? So in, uh, I would say my dream uh, would be for more long-term care facilities for people with uh, special needs that aren't able to care for themselves. Um, that's one of my biggest fears of when I pass away or when I'm old enough that I can no longer care for my son, uh, who's going to care for him? Um, and during my research for all of this, I found that in uh, 1997, there were approximately 3,000 uh, adult beds for the mental health, uh, people with mental health issues. Uh, and then there were about 700 children beds in 97. Um, Is that out of those 2,100 or... Nope, on top of. At on least top. that was my understanding of the numbers. Uh, in, I believe it was 2016, uh, there was a comparison. Uh, there were a number for adult beds was down to 2,197, and there were only 276 children beds. So the numbers have drastically uh, been reduced. Um, and I was listening to yet a different podcast uh, just last week, and they were talking about the, the amount of long-term care facilities for the elderly. Uh, in specific, and they were saying that 50% of them were going to be closing due to COVID uh, in the next year. So that compounds that problem with who's going to take care of the uh, aging special needs um, communities and the elderly population. Uh, so my dream would be to have government uh, fund that uh, fully so that there are there is hope for people in my situation, for my loved ones, to have long care uh, long-term care after I uh, pass away or I'm no longer able to care for my own son. Well, thank you for that amazing uh, dream and for an amazing episode. Um, there you guys have it, Discovering Disabilities in Dearborn with Corporal Brent King. Thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Pleasure was mine. Thank you, gentlemen. That dream, by the way, I hope becomes a reality. I hope so, too. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to all our viewers for watching at home. Make sure you follow us on our social media, Dream Dearborn on Instagram and Facebook, and check out our website, dreamdearborn.org. We'll see you on the next episode. And YouTube, Dream Dearborn as well.